Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad here with you live from, S- well not live, but on SEC Media Days here in Hoover, Alabama. Joel T. Coleman, of course, will not be with us this week, nor will he be with us next week for that matter. Neither one of us will. Uh, I want to thank our great uh, listeners out there, however you're listening to our podcast, be it at supertalk.fm or anywhere you get your podcast. Especially we want to thank our servicemen and women out there protecting our freedoms. We want to thank our sponsor, Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. It's hot outside, guys. You need to go to Churn and Spoon and hit yourself up for a nice cold Sunday, or perhaps go over to Strange Brew. I know it's a coffee house, but you know they have all the great frozen drinks over there to keep you cool this summer. SEC Media Day is going on. Uh, first day, we've seen some interesting stuff already from Greg Sankey. He uh, he did confirm that SEC Media Days is going to be making a worldwide tour. We, uh, in Atlanta next year and Nashville the year after that. I expect it to be uh, sort of similar to that. Also, in what has to can only be described as great comedy. The SEC officiating Twitter feed is up and running. Guys, if you haven't seen their one tweet and the mentions to it, if you're in the mood for a laugh, I definitely suggest going to going to that. Uh, but they will be tweeting out uh, live uh, explanations about calls this uh, this year. So I expect it to be a very busy and bitter Twitter account. I, I will be imagining most of you, uh, most of my listeners will be lit, blocked by week four uh, on that one. So but it's definitely worth checking out. Uh Obviously, MSU not taking the podium until Wednesday, so not a lot of new information there. We'll talk to Joe Moorhead and the guys when they get here. So I thought what we'd do today is I came up with some best-case, worst-case scenarios for Mississippi State. You know, we are talking to Joel yesterday on, on, on the pod, and we were talking about some, some questions that need to be answered. He got me thinking about, well, you know, what's the high end of, of some of these things? What's the low end? What could go, go right and what could go wrong uh, for Mississippi State? This season, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to start off, obviously, at the most important position and what we've been talking about for the past, you know, gosh, three, four months now, and that's the quarterback position. You know, I got the best case scenario. What is it for Tommy Stevens? I, I don't think Tommy Stevens is coming in here and going to become a Heisman candidate or anything like that. I don't think he's going to throw for 3,500 yards or, or 40 touchdowns or anything of that nature. I, I really do think the best case scenario for him is just to be a really good quarterback. You're not an all-SEC guy, but you don't have to be to get Mississippi State where you want it to be this year. If Tommy Stevens can come in here and complete around 60% of his passes and throw for around 2,500 to 2,700 yards and throw for, you know, 20 to 25 touchdowns to, you know, 8 to 10 interceptions, guys, State's going to be, you know, right in the mix to win 8, 9, and possibly 10 games if they're getting that kind of production out of the passing game. Now that does to me just just saying it out loud it seems a little pie in the sky. Now part of that is because in you know the entire time I've been following Mississippi State <laughs> my which is my whole life uh only one quarterback has been able to do things like that, and that was Dak Prescott. So, am I going to put Tommy Stevens in the same boat as Dak Prescott? That seems like a a that seems like big shoes to fill. Um so for me, I think that you know your best case scenario probably seems a little unreasonable, but I think it again it doesn't have to be that for state to be really really good. If if he's just around fifty five percent and he's at twenty two twenty three hundred yards and he's at you know eighteen to twenty touchdowns, state's going to be fine offensively because I still think they're going to have the ability to run the football. Um, but for me, I find it somewhere in between you know. Best case and what's probably going to actually happen is what's where you're going to end up. The worst case scenario is 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 not even Stevens not putting up great numbers. It's it's having a quarterback controversy. It's it, him coming in and not being good, and then Keaton tries to take back over, and that maybe that doesn't work out. 
that's your worst-case scenario, that you just can't settle on a quarterback, that you can't settle on a guy to be the uh, the leader of this football team. Um, that would be a nightmare scenario for Joe Moorhead, to bring in a, a grad transfer, a guy who is, by all accounts, his guy. You know, This is the guy that you know, he had coached before. When we talked to him last week at that clinic, he talked about you know that Stevens would have 80 to 90 percent of the playbook, the installation, the terminology down before before practice one. He would have that kind of knowledge. So it's very obvious that this is this is Moorhead's guy, and for him to not be able to win the job or keep the job would be a nightmare for Mississippi State. It would be really bad for Joe Moorhead because he brought him in. He you know he sort of I don't staked his reputation is not the correct term, but he definitely you know, put himself out there for Tommy Stevens. Because, you know, if he hadn't gone after Stevens and just gone ahead with Keaton Thompson and Thompson had struggled, it wouldn't have the same uh, impact on Moorhead that Stevens uh, struggling would. If if Thompson had been the starter from day one and had struggled, you could easily write it off as, well, you know, he was recruited to run the Mullen system. He, maybe he's just not the right fit for Joe Moorhead. With Stevens, that, that excuse is taken away. And we've talked about that before, that, you know, th- this, this transfer has really upped the pressure on Joe Moorhead to produce in year two because the excuse of, I didn't have my quarterback is out the window now. You've got your quarterback. He's here. Which one's going to happen? I think... Maybe I'm just naive, I, I, but I like what I see from Stevens. And talking to Moorhead, you could tell that he's excited about Stevens, uh, more so even than I, than I ever thought he was about Fitzgerald. I think he, he realizes he's got his guy in place. And obviously, you know, when you talk to Joe, he's obviously very confident in his offensive system. Um, my confidence in that system is obviously less than Joe's because of what the results that I saw last year. But I am willing to give it a clean slate with a new quarterback. You know, if, if State comes out there and is successful offensively, then obviously you can buy into what Moorhead is selling. If they struggle, it's going to be a long road for him. But I think Stevens is going to be pretty close to, I, I think he'll be between 2,500 and 3,000 yards. Uh, and if that's the case, and State can run the football effectively, they're going to be just fine offensively. Again, what we've been saying this whole time is that State doesn't have to have the top offense in the SEC to be successful this year. They just need to be middle of the pack. They just need to be averaging, you know, in all SEC games between 24 and 28 points. Again, if you had done that last season, you would have gone undefeated. It's not, it's not in this day and age of college football, asking for 28 points is not a whole lot. So, Stevens should be a, a, an upgrade in the passing game. He's still a competent runner. He's not going to be as good a runner as Fitzgerald, but that's just a different thing. You're willing to make the trade for what he can do passing-wise for what he, you lose in the running game, and then you hopefully all, you just transfer those carries to Kylan Hill, who's a dynamic runner in and of himself. So that's your, your best case, Twenty-five. it's probably between 2,500 and 3,000. Your worst case, quarterback controversy, I'm going to say that 2,500 might be the high end for, for Tommy Stevens in 2019. But if you get that, I think you still feel pretty, pretty, pretty good about where MSU is. Um, another best case, worst case scenario, we talked about the offensive line on the Monday podcast. Uh, you know, your best case scenario is that these five guys that you've sort of moved, you've moved around and moved these pieces, they come together and they gel really well. Uh, you know, we talked about Marcus uh, Johnson. I think he's a really good offensive line coach. He did a good job last season. I thought Elton Jenkins and, and Deion Calhoun elevated their play from a season ago. I thought that Greg Island, you know, although, yeah, he struggled against Josh Allen, but Josh Allen had 17 sacks, so lots of people struggled against him. That guy was a top five pick in the NFL draft. Um, so I'm not going to take anything, you know, from that game 
and and you know pin the whole season of it on Greg Island. For a guy who was basically getting his first run as a starter, I thought he was okay. Now they've moved him to right tackle, and I think that's actually a bit better fit for him. Um, Tyree Phillips is a bit of a question mark. He played last year. He was great in a reserve role. We'll see where he, what he can do as a starter. But like we said on uh, Monday's podcast, you know, this year is sort of the transition year to the passing of the torch to the guys like Charles Cross and Quatravius Johnson, when State's going to have its two highest-rated tackles since Derek Sherrod and I don't know who the other one would be would were, were you know on the field. So the best case for MSU is that they're just that the offensive line is basically what you had last season. You're very effective running the ball. I thought State had you know opportunities to pass the ball last year. They just it was it was not the offensive line's fault for the most part outside of that Kentucky game that the the passing game failed. Uh, so for me, you know, I think Daryl Williams will be very solid in the middle. I think that, you know, Stuart Reese moving inside is an interesting move for me. He's played the last two years at right tackle. I thought he was pretty good there, <laughs> moving him inside. Normally when a tackle moves inside, it, it works out. because you're ta- That's what happened with Elton Jenkins. Remember, he started his career at tackle at Mississippi State, and he became an elite uh, interior offensive lineman. So you're, you're a tackle, and you've been so used to blocking on the perimeter. Now that you're inside and you've got more help and you've got a little bit more leverage on your guys, it usually works out for that person. So I'm going to you know, mark it down that I think Stuart Reese can be pretty good at guard. Darian Parker is a complete question mark for me over there at left guard. Don't know very much about him. You know, He played some last year, but nothing really stood out. We were talking about Kendall Jones yesterday. Sort of the same thing with Darian Parker. Just just don't know enough about him to make a, a real assessment. And then, like I said, you got Phillips and Island there at the tackles. So your best case for that is they're just as good as they were a year ago. You're better in the passing game because you've improved at quarterback and receiver, and you've got a good offense. Your worst case scenario is not only just injury, because injury is obviously a worst case scenario in any situation, but for me, that you have to put Cross out there too quickly. That you may have to put Cretrevious Johnson out there, even though he is a redshirt freshman, out there a little too quickly, and they're just not ready, and it ends up, you know, hurting their confidence long term. Um, or that Daryl Williams, for whatever reason, doesn't work out at center. Now, they, they moved Jenkins from guard to center, and it worked out okay. But remember, as a junior, remember that first game of his as a junior. A lot of low snaps. It took him a couple of weeks to get going. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll have to monitor that with Darrell Williams. Is it going to be that same situation? Um, you know, your worst-case scenario is that Darian Parker doesn't work out. And, you know, who, who's the, who are the swing guys? You know, Tabby Champion, obviously, is a, somebody who's, whose name is going to get brought up. Or are you going to have to play some of these freshmen more, more than you really want to? A guy like Nick Penley, who I think they're very high on as a true freshman. But is he, you know, he's not ready to go from day one. So we'll see what happens there. So, you know, your best case is there, there, there's this – it, their best case is just to repeat 2018, you know, minus the one horrible game against Kentucky. Uh, your worst case is that injuries force some of these younger guys into roles they're not quite ready for because I think the depth this year just isn't what it was a season ago. Again, you know, the, the truth is probably going to lie somewhere in the middle for Mississippi State. It's probably going to be a pretty good offensive line, but I won't be surprised if there's an injury that forces somebody to make a move. I, I, I don't know... You know, one thing with Marcus Johnson, and, and Joe Moorhead talked about this uh, with us last week, that you don't want to pin you don't want to pin the guy into the depth chart. And what he meant by that was, you know, let's just say, for example, that Tommy Champion is the second string right tackle, but he could be a better right guard than whoever. And I don't have a depth chart in front of me. Uh, whoever the second string right guard is. So what they want to be able to do is tell Champion, like, look, if we get an injury at right guard, you're going to go there, even though you're on the depth chart as a tackle. 
You know, they, they, they don't want to p- pigeonhole guys into where the depth chart says they have to play. Just because you're a tackle on the depth chart doesn't mean you're just a tackle. So that's a good philosophy, obviously, to have. But I just don't think State has the same depth that they had a year ago where guys like Phillips and Parker and Champion were, were you know, were reserves. So we'll see if, you know, depth becomes an issue for Mississippi State. I think, you know, in the years to come, and then part of that is the recruiting problem State's had the past couple of years. You know, they had those two classes where they only signed, I think, three offensive linemen total. That's why State had to go so heavy a season ago and get, I think, what, five or six guys, and they're probably going to get, you know, three or four more this season. So, again, I hate playing the middle here. I don't know if, you know, there's going to be a best case, worst case. But for me, I, I think this, the offensive line can be good. I think they can be, you know, an effective unit. But if an injury occurs, it's going to be interesting to see how they move guys around. The real best case, worst case for me is the wide receivers on offense because this is a group with a ceiling. I don't know how high the ceiling really is, to be totally honest with you. I don't know that it's that high. Um, you know, I like Isaiah Zuber, and he's the guy who's produced at the Power 5 level transferring in from Kansas State. I don't think there's a lot of question marks surrounding him. To me, the question marks are Stephen Guidry uh, and Devontae Jason. Those are the two highest ceiling guys for me. I mean, Gidry was the number one wide receiver in the country coming out of junior college. Devontae Jason was a top, what, 100 uh, prospect, uh, top wide receiver in the state of Louisiana, had offers from a lot of different powerful schools. And, you know, Gidry last year had some moments, but by and large, I thought disappointed. Devontae Jason, we've talked about him. He only caught three passes all year and, and did not redshirt for whatever reason. Those are two guys I think need to take a really big step forward. Gidry had 440 yards receiving last year. He needs to be closer to six, 700 this season. And then with Devontae Jason, he needs to be between you know three and 500 yards. Otherwise, and like I said on I think it's on Monday show, that you know it, it's too early to label him a bust. He'll just be a true sophomore. But you, you start having questions about this kid because you, you, I, I expected him last year, and I know I wasn't alone. There were a number of people who, when I did the uh, the media poll, said they thought he would be State's leading receiver on the season. Instead, he only caught three passes. So I wasn't alone in having high expectations of Devontae Jason. He needs to deliver on those this year. If he does, State can be one of the better offenses in the conference. Um, and then you got Austin Williams, who is a guy that, again, I know most of the beat thought was going to lead the team in receiving, and he just didn't, just didn't have that impact. Um, so you're going to, you know, this is sort of the year for him where, and if he doesn't have a good year this year, he'll be, you know, a junior next season. I think you can just stop expecting things from him. He needs to he needs to step up this year. And again, I don't expect him to be the leading receiver, but if he can be between 300 400 yards, that's going to be in good that's going to put Mississippi State in a good good position. State's got what? 6 7 guys here. Let's just let's just go through the receiving core. Gidry, Mitchell, Zuber, Jason, Williams, Thomas, and maybe you could put Malik Deer in that mix. You know, between those guys, they need to be averaging between 300 and 500 yards. If if that happens, State's going to be perfectly good on offense. If you don't have that, and I mean that's that's even without your tight ends and your uh, your, your running backs who are going to catch some balls. I think Kylan Hill will be a big part of the passing game, especially. If you don't have that though, if those guys don't get those averages, you're going to struggle in the passing game again. So. That's what I'm trying to get at. The best case scenario is just to be good. There's not I don't think there's a be great option for the MSU wide receiving core. I don't think there's an option where a guy like Gidry steps up and becomes an all SEC player. Um, I don't think there's an all SEC receiver on this this roster unless it's Jason and he would just have to really bloom into that. You know, I think physically he has the tools, 
but you know I don't know if he's going to I don't know if he's he can put it all together but there's not I mean there's not a and, and this has been a problem for MSU you know, even with Fred Ross, that's not a guy that you know kept SEC defensive coordinators up at night. Maybe when you had Ross and Duranya Wilson, you know that was the case. But I think that was more Dak Prescott than anything else. State doesn't have a guy, a Jerry Judy type receiver. You know, go back look at Ole Miss a season ago. You know, things like that. They they don't have a guy that you know when they when they start breaking down the game plan, the first thing is we got to stop this guy. For State, that guy's Kylan Hill. They don't have that guy in the passing game. So they've got to figure that out. Uh, so best case for me would be for them to just be good. Worst case is they're, they're what they were a season ago. They're dropping passes. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're just not getting it done. Uh, I think, you know, a lot, obviously a lot of it's tied to Tommy Stevens. You know, can he throw a better ball than Fitzgerald did? I think, you know, we, we saw so many times that Fitzgerald, the touch on those passes just wasn't what it needed to be. That's not really an excuse for me, though. And you got to catch the ball, especially if it hits you in the hands. You got to make that catch. So, for me, it's this one's really sort of up in the air because there's just not a guy who I can think tur- who can turn it on and become a dominant wide receiver. This wide receiver core might just be good this year, and that, like I said, that'll be enough. But I, I just don't know long term. They've got to start finding some difference makers at wide receiver. Uh, we'll see if Jason can be one. I don't. I just. Devontae Jason, and we've talked about it before, it, it, it just drives me... I just don't get what happened with him last year. He wasn't good enough to, to, to make a lot of catches and be a big part of the rotation, but they don't redshirt him. And I just don't get it. I just don't. And that's something that, you know, maybe one day I will have the answer for that. I don't know. Defensively, Joel hit it on it yesterday, the defensive tackle. When you look at State's defense, at end, I feel like you've got a lot of good players there. Rivers, Spencer, Jones, and Adams. That's four really good SEC defensive ends. Your linebacking core, the, the top three guys might be the best in the SEC between Gay, Thompson, and, and Lewis. That might be the best starting linebacker core in the conference. Cam Dantzler is fantastic over there at corner. you got a lot of depth at safety. Smitherman's good at the other corner. But at defensive tackle, outside of Lee Autry, you don't have a guy who's played a whole lot. And again you're sort of in the same spot as the wide receivers. I, I, I don't know if you've got, you know, you can be better than good this year. Now, the good news is at defensive tackle, you've got some guys who could become breakout players and be potential all-SEC guys. A guy like Nathan Pickering could be like that. A guy like Fabian Lovett could be like that. But these are freshmen, so how much can you really expect from them in year one? You know, or, or I guess in Lovett's case, it's year two as a redshirt freshman. But regardless, you know, hasn't seen a whole lot of time. Lee Autry was a guy who was I thought was impressive in time the times that he got to play last year, but unfortunately he was just so far down the depth chart behind Simmons, behind uh, you know Braxton Hoyette and Corey Thomas and that whole gang that it's just difficult for him to make a, a big impact. And like we've said before, Simmons is the was just irreplaceable. You know Montez Sweat I think Chauncey Rivers can give you that same sort of production. Jonathan Abram. I like Brian Cole and Jaquarius Landry. Those guys are going to give you similar production. Nobody's replacing Jeffrey Simmons because you just don't have an athlete like that on the roster. So best case scenario for Mississippi State, again, is just to be good at defensive tackle this year. I think potentially down the road as Pickering and, and those guys develop, you can get back to having an elite defensive tackle group, an interior group. This year, I don't think that could happen. Of course, the worst case is, you know, it just – your lack of de- of proven depth hurts you. And teams like Auburn, LSU, uh, Alabama, um, 
you know, Kansas State to a lesser degree, the teams that want to line up and run the football right at you are able to do that with success. I think State's good enough in the in the back end that you know the pass defense will be fine. But you know, I'm I would be worried about MSU's run defense until you see it on the field. Once you do that, you know, once you see what you've got there, you can make a, a more uh, educated statement about it. But you know, the worst case scenario is that Lee Autry and Kendall Jones get the start, and you and Kendall Jones is a guy that. You know, as a redshirt senior, hasn't played a whole lot, and you're going to find you find out why he hasn't played a whole lot because he hasn't been very good, and that Lee Autry, you know, who looked good in spots last year, is just that a guy who looks good in spots. That's your worst case scenario. I I'm going to err on the side of of positivity here. State's just recruited really well. Um, I don't know a lot about Deke Adams, the new defensive line coach. I haven't had a chance to meet with him yet. Um, you know, what you lost in Brian Baker was a guy who was a. I mean, he was a really good defensive line coach. I tend to be of the uh, the, the theory most times that are the not outside of coordinators that you know your position coaches dime a dozen's a little harsh, but for the most part, a, a college defensive line coach at one school is probably just as good as a college. I mean, there, there's going to be exceptions to that rule. There are some some better coaches here and there, but by and large, I don't think that's going to be an issue. So, I, I think these guys are going to develop nicely and be okay. I, I, Pickering, Lovett, Jaden, Cromedy are guys that I think are going to be future stars uh, for Mississippi State. And I think you're also good enough elsewhere that even if you struggle a bit at defensive tackle, you, you've got, you know, you're going to be able to pick it up. You know, I won't be totally surprised, by the way, to see guys. And you saw some of this last year with some of the packages Bob Shoup ran. He had some packages where he put Chauncey Rivers at defensive tackle. I won't be surprised to see Marquis Spencer do the same. Uh, Kobe Jones is a guy who could probably slide inside for a play or two. So they can make, they can create some mismatches with some different packages to give them, give them a different look and and, and you know, sort of disguise any any issues they have at defensive tackle. I won't be completely surprised if a guy like Lovett uh, starts by you know game three or four. I won't be completely surprised if Nathan Pickering is a big part of the rotation uh, by the end of the season. That's a guy I don't expect to, to redshirt. Uh, you know, he'll play more than his four games, for sure. And then I, I guess my, my last, you know, best case, worst case, we, we, I always get to I guess we're going to talk about Joe Moorhead himself and that we, we find out that Joe Moorhead was indeed hamstrung by Nick Fitzgerald and, and what he was able to, to offer MSU. The best case scenario is that that was exactly the case, and you put a new quarterback in, and you give yourself a couple of new weapons at wide receiver, and you you let the offense flow a little bit more through Kylan Hill, and you get the offense that you saw more of at Penn State. The worst case scenario is that Moorhead is is you know was sort of made by Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley, and you don't have you know you don't have a successful head coach. Um, this is a question I'm not going to be able to answer until I see Tommy Stevens hit the field and see what they they, they have to uh, to offer there. For me, you know, like I said, I think Stevens is going to be an upgrade. I know Kylan Hill can be an elite SEC back if he's given the opportunity. You know, I know that Zuber gives you a, a, a legitimate receiving threat, and you know, I like the ceiling on guys like Gidry and Jason to see if they can get there to it. Um, so I think the the pieces are in place for Moorhead to be to have success. You know, as a play caller this year, but. I thought the pieces were in place last year, and I thought that, that the offense was just poorly managed at times. And, you know, we saw Fitzgerald run the ball way too much. Uh, we saw receivers, you know, drop passes. Uh, we saw just some some baffling decisions. You know, the you look at the LSU game and the decision to keep passing the ball when Fitzgerald just clearly wasn't in a, a good place there. Uh, you saw, you know, the, the inability to get the ball into the hands of Kylan Hill and Aris Williams a year ago. Those are things that fall on Joe Moorhead more than anybody else for me, anyway. 
So, you know, which w- the real Joel Moorhead is going to have to stand up this year. Is he the guy that we saw at Penn State and the ball moving up and down the field? Or is he the guy that last year against, you know, in his four losses in the SEC scored seven, six, three, and zero? You know, those, those numbers are going to be, you know, going to be the numbers he has to beat this year. Again, we talk about some of these losses. State's going to lose some games this year. Well, if they do that, that's fine. But they can't, you know, be single-digit games. You've got to be able to score. If you lose a game 28-24, people can get around that. When you lose, you know, 19-3 to and you give up one touchdown, and people aren't going to allow that when you're an, off- when you're an offensive head coach. You know, if you had hired Jeremy Pruitt in the offensive struggle last year, people would have probably not been as, as – upset about it. But when you hire a guy and, and all you hear about is his resume as a play caller and as an offensive guru, and then you can't move the football, you get why there's going to be doubt. So, best case scenario for, for again, it's funny how everything sort of ties into Tommy Stevens, but that's that's the way it's going to have to be. So, best case, worst case for Moorhead, we'll see what happens there. I think, you know, I think I'm going to err a little bit towards it, it was Fitzgerald, who just, I think if Mullen had stayed, Fitzgerald had a big year. But he didn't. So, We'll see. And I think if, if Fitzgerald had been a junior and he was coming back for one more season, he'd have a big season in 2019. Uh, just he just another year with this offense would have done him some good. Uh, but we'll see where it takes us with uh, with Stevens. A couple of quick notes before we get out of here. Uh, it's awards season. And so that means my inbox is about to fill up with uh, MSU press releases uh, as people get nominated for different uh, uh, awards. So far today, and I could have missed one, but I've seen three. Uh, Kylan Hill is a uh, finalist or also in the preseason award list for the Maxwell Award and then the Bednarik Award. Uh, two Bulldogs on there, Errol Thompson and Cam Dantzler. Um, the Maxwell Award is usually the same guy who wins the Heisman Trophy, so I wouldn't think Kylan Hill has a real chance uh, of that. But Dantzler and Thompson are interesting to me, especially Dantzler, who I think really is State's best opportunity to be a uh, an All-American uh, football player. Love love his game, uh, and and he's got a guy on the other side in Smitherman who sets it up where they can't completely avoid him. They're going to have to take some chances. He's going to be guarding the best receivers in the conference this year. Nobody's going to get completely away from them. So I think Dantzler has an outside opportunity to be an All-American and to be a uh, a, a a contender for maybe not the Benaric Award, but for the Thorpe Award for sure. Just like his game and like what he brings to Mississippi State. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, nothing else between now and then happens. We'll have, we'll have to figure out something to talk about, but for sure we'll be back. And then, of course, like I said, State goes on Wednesday. We'll talk to Moorhead and all the players and all that. Don't forget to check out Sports Talk Mississippi all week. We are live here in Hoover. We'll be interviewing players, coaches, uh, some of the different media that are here as well. So, guys, have a great Tuesday, and I'll be back with you on uh, Wednesday morning. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Talk Mississippi Media Production.